0: Welcome to the Curiosity Podcast,
1: a show about everything e-commerce and digital business.
0: The aim is simple, to help
1: you thrive online. And now, your host, Matt Edmondson. Welcome, my fellow e-commerce entrepreneurs. My name is Matt Edmondson, and this show is for those of us curious about e-commerce and want to know how to get better at digital business. That's what we want to know. And coming up in today's show, I get to talk to the amazing Simon Cavill, who's a beekeeper and expert in e-commerce. It's quite an extraordinary conversation. Uh, And I'm going to put a link to uh, Simon's website, which he's going to talk about, in the show notes, along with a transcript from today's show. And you can download download that from the website, mattedmondson.com. Also on my website is information about the CoLab project. If you haven't heard of the CoLab project yet, uh, then do check it out. I did cover it in episode one. I sort of introduced the concept in that episode and you'll be hearing a lot more about it It's a project I'm doing that involves the challenge of setting up 100 new e-commerce websites. And to do that, I'm going to need to partner with some crazy entrepreneurs uh, or maybe just normal entrepreneurs who have got some fab products to sell online. So if you want to know more about that, check it out. Also at my website, mattedmondson.com. This show is sponsored by The Amazing Curious Digital, which is an experience-based e-commerce platform that I use to run and grow my own e-commerce businesses. That's right. This is the platform that I use to drive my own multi-million-dollar e-commerce business. So if you're looking for a new platform, be sure to check it out at Curious.Digital. That's Curious with a K, not a C, because you know what? Why would we spell it the normal way? Um, curious with a K and not a C at Curious.Digital. Okay. So, uh let me introduce to you today's guest, right? Today I am chatting with Simon Cavill. Like I said, he's a beekeeper and more recently he's become a bit of an expert in e-commerce and he's going to show with uh, share with us how his beekeeping hobby that started around 16 years ago has now turned into a fully fledged e-commerce business called Be Good. B-E-E-good, right, B-E-E-good. And like many things, the thing I I love about Simon's story uh, that so many of us can identify with, he started at the kitchen table. He started making his own products, which were balms and hand creams from uh, from the bees, which he was just sort of keeping. But now he's got a load more products. He distributes on the web. He's in a chain of stores called Waitrose here in the UK. He's growing into Europe through Amazon and he's growing worldwide through PayPal Global, including the States and Australia and New Zealand and Taiwan and all these amazing places. And the really cool thing is he's going to talk about that in this conversation. That's right. He's going to go well into it. We even talk, we nerd out a little bit on tax regulations when uh, doing trade across international borders. So if you are uh, thinking of exporting and working across international borders, you will definitely want to hear that part. Plus, I asked Simon the question, how would he do it differently if he had to do it? all again this is such a great conversation i really really enjoyed it and big shout out to simon thanks again for taking the time to do this and without further ado let's get into my conversation with simon cavill so simon uh great to have you on the show why don't you start by what is by telling us a little bit of who you are and sort of where you've come from your story so far
0: Yes, yeah, so um, I'm Simon Cabell, and um, I've been a beekeeper um, for about two or 16 years now. Um, and so we started Bee Goods back in 2008 as a little hobby. Um, uh, as as a, most
1: good businesses actually start, I have to be
0: honest. Yeah, it was just because I was technical. I, I did beekeeping, really. To I used to work in IT, and I, I did beekeeping as the sort of antidote to technology. <laughs> You can stand in a field with your bee suit on and just be not <laughs> by anybody. Nobody wants to come near you. Right. Um, <laughs> and you just talk to the bees, which is great because they can't give away your secrets. That's fine. And uh, so, yeah, I did that for a while. And obviously, as you're a beekeeper, you, you, you obviously, the whole point of it is you get honey. So mm-hmm. you end up selling honey and you become known as a sort of the bee man in the village because I live in a village in Hampshire and um you know it's quite useful you can barter honey for all sorts of things if you need to so it's good fun and then um i set up a website uh fairly soon after 2008 not really to sell the honey but just because i thought it'd be quite fun to build a website okay uh very rapidly after that my wife started making um lip balms and hand creams from the beeswax and the honey that we, we collected from the bees we had some recipe books going back to the 1700s. So we started playing around with those. Wow. We left out the lead, and we left out the ambergris, <laughs> which is the whale material.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, that's probably a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah Absolutely. But apart from that, they were, they were fairly authentic, and we went through them and tried them, and then we sort of started selling them at local fates and fairs. And that's really why the website came up, because people were sort of asking us could they buy online. And at that point in 2008, e-commerce was still fairly new yeah um so we built a little wordpress website and we used i think it was woocommerce at the time and that worked okay and we sold stuff through there and then we just kept going to more and more fates and fairs and things like that and we still had our little little uh, wordpress website um and it got to the point by 2013 where we we were Either going to shows every day, or I was going down to the post office every day with a big bag of, of boxes to distribute product. Sure. So it, was, it was that point we either did it properly or we just gave up because it was sort of taking over our lives. So I rashly decided to carry on, and um, I, I went and got some some money from people I knew, some angels. I tapped up people I knew for money, um, and uh, I did a presentation. Um, at a thing called uh, pitching for management, okay, run by a lady called Maud Rees-Mogg. yeah, one of those Reesmogs, and oh. um, she's lovely though, she's a nice one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, I did this pitch, and and two things happened. The first thing, which is great, was every woman in the audience just sort of lasered, like like you know, straight on to where I was standing and straight on to listening to everything I was saying, because I wasn't talking about cloud this or technology that. Yeah. The other pitches um, and the second thing was that in afterwards in the audience I found out there's a guy um, who used to be the XMD of Revlon who oh, went, wow. Well, actually that's a really good. That's a really good thing. You should do that But at that point be good was just a website It didn't really have in you know, a proper business structure or anything like that. It was just us working yeah. for a So I sort of started talking to him and then getting into and thinking well, maybe we could do this properly and then at that time there was also a change in the law regarding cosmetics Uh, Where uh, after that it became quite difficult to be a sort of micro manufacturer stepping up because you had you also had to register all the recipes and things like that. That's right. Yep. Before two thousand, at that point we thought, well, we'll why not do it now? So we actually jumped in and we then started talking around. We went to various manufacturers, cosmetic manufacturers, to see um, uh, you know what they could do for us and how it might work because I had no knowledge of the cosmetics industry whatsoever, zero. Yep. So i just went to these people and went i'd like to make some product please how much will it cost me and it just you know eventually we found somebody we like working with who wanted to sort of do things naturally and uh, at that point i brought on a friend of mine glenn who'd worked with me previously in a payment business that we set up and then I, I i brought on two ladies who used to work for a company called lizelle and uh, oh, wow. <laughs> there was the brand manager and one of the sales managers or sales director and they came and joined me and off we went and wow. within Within a few months, we had a listing with Waitrose. And that was quite funny. We went into Waitrose and pitched to the Waitrose team. We didn't actually have any product. We had had storyboards. We had pictures of artwork.
1: So you had pictures of your products.
0: We had pictures of the products. And we had samples of the products. But we didn't actually have products in the packaging. So they just had to imagine what it might look like and
1: uh did they know you didn't have products in the packaging oh yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. yes but i mean i mean you know luckily they sort of believed in what we were doing and went "Well, if you make this work we'll take it so sorry it's
1: probably worth just pointing out actually if you don't know waitrose is um is a supermarket chain here in the uk and it's quite a high-end supermarket chain isn't it there's probably yeah
0: i suppose the nearest equivalent us equivalent might be whole foods or vans yeah um, but yeah they've got about 100 and uh well we we are we are shipping into about 130 stores at the moment there's about 300 i think across the uk but a lot of those are quite small yeah uh, we we go into all the ones that just have a beauty sector section section sorry beauty okay. sector. Um, and then subsequently from that we're now into waitrose international so we're now shipping to the middle east through waitrose so waitrose take our product from the uk and sell it in waitrose stores in dubai and various other parts of the middle east
1: well, I imagine that's actually quite good, isn't it? Because the Middle East and English cosmetics tend to tend to be good sort of…
0: Yeah, you'd think so, but we're not quite sure because, because okay. it, it's very difficult to find the actual sales figures out of Waitrose International. Uh, right. Uh, and they're lovely, lovely people, but they're not the most efficient in terms of reporting. So sometimes you're sort of not quite sure what you've sold where. Right, you know, we, we just they keep placing orders on us every week, so they order every week, and we ship every week, and it's fine. That's wonderful, and then, so that obviously helps us. Now, the reason
1: and all for- the products that you're shipping are still products that you're making.
0: Yes. Wow. Well. Yeah. So uh, we've had a, we've added a few and we've dropped a couple, but the, the basically the core range is still there. Um, but the critical thing is that from an e-commerce point of view, when you're a new startup, particularly in something like cosmetics or skincare, where it's all about trust. If you're not on the high street, it's very difficult to get customers to actually believe in your product. Whereas, if you say to an online customer, "It's in Waitrose," even if it's a Waitrose, even if they don't have a Waitrose within I don't know twenty miles of where they live, they'll still think, "Well, actually, if they're in Waitrose, they must be quite good." So, therefore, that sort of trust goes up a notch.
1: That's really interesting. So, the, yeah, the fact you're that you're in Waitrose gives you credibility.
0: Yes, the with fact people that people that have never bought from you, yeah. The, the fact the customer can walk into a shop and mm. go oh, there he is on the shelf and maybe buy it at waitrose or maybe buy it online um there's no difference in pricing generally there's, there's nothing mm. at all um so we have to maintain the price across all our platforms um okay so uh, would
1: you um would you still do your e-commerce website if you couldn't sell it into waitrose but you just don't think you'd sell as many if you did
0: no i think i think the whole sort of process would have, would have sort of gone back a long way. It would, have, would not have worked nearly as well because you need that credibility. It depends what, what you're into. You know, if you're selling, mm. I don't know, headphones or, or bits of electronics, then people will just buy whatever's cheapest. Yeah. Not, they not really care. Whereas if it's something like a skincare product, which requires, as I say, some trust from the consumer, mm. particularly from female consumers who want, to, want the sort of um, the knowledge behind the product, they're incredibly well-versed our customer base they know everything about products (laughs) They know what the ingredients are they know what they do they know what they don't want in terms of an ingredient they're they're very hot on on skincare you know you can if i tell somebody oh i make skincare products and i'm talking to a group of women i'm instantly in a conversation probably for 20 minutes yeah you know about their skincare regime what they do what they like what they don't like those sorts of things yeah great but it's uh it is an unusual situation when you're not in the you know when you come from outside the business to suddenly find that you're dealing with very very knowledgeable consumers
1: i mean that's really it's it's an interesting statement about being in waitrose and and having this sort of dual outlet both in store and online yeah if someone's listening and they're sort of they're thinking well that sounds great how do i how how do i go about doing that what would be your your top tip to someone that that would that would look to do that
0: you, if you, go to, you basically have to research the people you're going to work with. So you have to understand how, well, how any retail, a retailer works you know, in terms of the margins they want, which will typically be 60% plus. Um, and you have to base your entire product development and product costing on those margins. So you have to be able to make money selling a £10 product for £4. Yeah. If you can do that, and and we built that model from the very beginning, then that's fine. But if you can't, then you're not going to succeed in a retailer. Also, depending on the retailer, you know, you may have to wait up to 140 days to be paid. So, you know, that's a long, that's quite a few months of of not being paid. So your cash flow is horrible. And you'll probably be asked to do, um, to supply cash for various marketing campaigns, some of which are mandatory. So a lot of retailers are difficult to deal with if you're very small. If you're big, then that's fine because you can use your leverage against them. Sure. If you're small, you have to do everything they say. And I know quite a few beauty brands who just don't make any money out of retailers. You know, they just do it to to hopefully promote themselves online so they can make money that way. Um, Right. We're quite lucky. Working with Waitrose has been very, very kind. Waitrose are a very nice organization to work with. And and they pay very rapidly. So our cash flow is much more beneficial working through Waitrose. You know, we don't have to contribute vast sums of money to, to mandatory um, marketing campaigns that we may or may not want to do.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's fascinating because, I mean, a lot of people I talk to never think retail and digital. They just think digital. Do you know what I mean? It, it's one of those things that, that People don't think oh, I should try and do both but actually what you're saying is certainly in high-end products Doing both is a good way forward. It'll give you the credibility and it will give you the extra Exposure is, is a good word isn't it to to new customers, which you wouldn't have seen before.
0: Yes, absolutely I mean it depends on, on the product obviously, but from our point of view It's essential because we have to build trust with the consumer and that's very difficult online because all they can see is, is a screen. They can't really, obviously, physically touch and smell and yes. taste. And, well, not taste, but, but try out the products. You know, you'll notice when a woman picks up a new product, the first thing she'll do, or a skincare product, is she'll smell it. She'll scent it and say, "What's this, what it smell like?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then she'll try it the back of her hand and what does it feel like? So it's very tactile. Um, so our industry is very, very tactile. So if you can get samples into the customer's hands, as it were, or onto their faces, then that helps tremendously.
1: How do you do that online with your cosmetics?
0: I think the key thing, and this also relates back to Waitrose, is you have to build up a persona for your brand. So it's very, relatively very easy for us because honey has been used in skincare for thousands of years. I mean, tens of thousands of years. It's probably the second oldest skincare product after mud. And they're extremely popular. Mm. Uh, and so it's building up that persona around the brand that's more than just the fact we make skincare. Everybody, anybody can make skincare. But we do it with from British bees, from, uh, you know, we support other beekeepers because now we've gone beyond our own capability in terms of supply. Sure, so you need more. More. we more and more a bee farmers and we sponsor their apprentices.
1: And have you found, because um, I, I mean, one of the things I've noticed about your product is you, you have put on it uh, a lot the this made in Britain made by British bees. It's, a, yeah. it's a, a, a big deal Do you think that's um, do you do that because one you're proud to be British or do you do it because actually now This is this actually helps with the product with the brand um, connect with people
0: both Um, so we've recently been doing some sampling in america um, Okay um, in the midwest and you would think uh initially you'd think, well, actually, the American consumer probably prefers American products and certainly American skincare products because, you know, they're made in America. Sure. But actually, in our, in our branding, we found completely the opposite, which was quite surprising, I mean, very surprising. I mean, what it turned out at was that actually these consumers knew everything that was going in those products in the American market and they didn't trust the ingredients. And they didn't actually trust a lot of the standards of a lot of the companies because they felt that European standards in terms of um cosmetic uh, ingredients and the quality and and the fact that we don't have pesticide residue in our honey unlike america um meant that our products were probably safer than their own well wow. so they knew more they already knew that european safety standards are much stricter for consumers in all ways than and not just skincare but also food and things like that so there is a natural trust of british products and the fact that we sort of like a, a, a sort of heritage brand helps as well because yeah. we, we sort of come across as quaint and very english
1: well that's fantastic i mean uh, it it's great and i i love to see the british flag on there i just i, I yeah I, I was i was intrigued so you you've um, you've started doing testing in america and you, you mentioned before we started recording that that you are going global you're doing more stuff in the eu how's, how's that all going for you
0: um so that that came Partly by accident. We started shipping in Amazon in the UK. Um okay. uh, three years ago. And uh, we just did it because we So thought- do you sell
1: on Amazon as well or just yeah, you- we
0: do. so we have our own we have our own Amazon web store. So if you go Amazon.co.uk slash be good, you'll see our little Amazon website.
1: Okay. Store.
0: Um and that's quite interesting. So we ship quite a lot of product through Amazon, and it's probably Amazon Prime. Because, yeah. Um our average basket sale in the UK is about 35 pounds through our website. And on Amazon it's about 15 because if we can see people are buying individual products and probably getting yeah. the sort of overall purchase of stuff, a bit like a grocery basket and getting it all shipped to them by <laughs> a the next day. So it's a different audience yeah. uh, um, and a different way of working. And then through Amazon, we started getting overseas sales. Um from Amazon in, in parts of Europe. And that started getting more and more and more. So um, we were sort of thinking about setting up. So we've just started to set up Amazon France, just translated everything across, and then we'll just start selling Amazon France. And we've got plans to do the same in Germany, Italy, and Spain. And then out of the blue, about a month ago, Amazon came to us, rang, rang me up and went, we've got this scheme, where we'd like you to register for VAT. We're going to to help you to register for VAT in seven European countries, including the UK. Okay. um, For free, and we'll pay for it. Wow. Uh, We'll pay for that also. We'll pay all the reporting for the first year. Um, Now, VAT in Europe is very complex because every country... it's a nightmare. it's, It's some that do it monthly, some do it quarterly.
1: Yeah.
0: The reporting regimes are all different. You've got to know the native language and all the other processes. So that's typically why we have avoided trying to place product in the individual Amazon warehouses because this is important. If you want to ship, I don't know, a product into Germany and you ship it from the UK, that's fine. But if you want to ship a product from Amazon in Germany to that German customer, you have to be registered for VAT in Germany. Yeah. And it's the same across all the countries in Europe. Yeah. So, uh, and also of course, if you're not in Germany then you, that German customer can't use Prime because there's no way it's going to come from the UK fast enough. Yeah. So again, with Amazon, it's very important to to they want you to have the product locally. So they can. So we're now just I've literally just filled in the forms to register ourselves in uh, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, the Czech Republic, and Poland. Wow. And, and and so we'll have VAT registrations in those places. And that means we can then go into all the Amazon warehouses across Europe. Apparently- it's a really
1: interesting service that Amazon have given you because I, I remember when we had to start registering across Europe for VAT, but because of the exports that we were doing, um, like you say, it was every VAT form was in the local language, which is fair. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't in Spanish and in English. It wasn't in German and in English. Um, and so you had to understand that form and then you had to, learn how to deal with that tax office. Like you say, it's not straightforward. No. Um, I don't think if, you're, if you are in Britain and you are an e-commerce website and you are thinking about exporting, you do need to get your head around, this is pre-Brexit of course, but you, yeah. you do need to get your head around the different VAT structures in the different countries.
0: Yes, and what can catch you out, which most people aren't aware of, is if you reach a certain limit where you ship a certain amount of value into that country, even if you're based in the UK, and you're shipping, I don't know, um, let's say electronics or motor parts into somewhere like Germany or Spain or someone like that. If you hit a certain limit and it can be as low as 30,000 euros, you automatically yeah. have to register for the T V A T. You have no choice.
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's a legal requirement, isn't it? And it's, um... It
0: catches people out because they don't realise until afterwards. And then suddenly, they, they, you know, the authorities come knocking on the door.
1: Yeah, it, it it it's it's a real strange one because, you know, part of the free trade across Europe, everybody's to assume that VAT was included in that. Um, mm. and it and actually the, the the thing which I've found across um, many e commerce businesses across Europe is the VAT. It's the VAT that catches them out across international borders uh, yes. with other European countries. And so um, you do. You, you, it's a little bit like the UK. In the UK, you have a VAT threshold, don't you? So if you sell over a certain amount of value in products, you have to register for VAT, which in England is sales tax or good sales tax (GST). Um, and if you, each European country has their own limit that you have to register for. And you're right. If you hit those limits of, you know, and you're selling goods into those countries, you then have to register for VAT and pay VAT in that country. Yeah, and so not only do you have to fill out their tax forms um, there are some countries across europe where vat uh, is 25 percent, Compared to 20 percent here in the uk
0: Yeah, and it's paid monthly.
1: Yeah or, And so or, it can or, be a, a bit of a nightmare.
0: Yes. I mean everybody from the outside thinks the eu is one human, you know uh, Sort of homogenous thing. It's not <laughs> They're still individual countries. They'll still want everything in their language. They'll still yeah. want done in their legal way so for Spanish VAT, we actually had to go to the Spanish embassy in London as directors to identify ourselves with our passports yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to register for VAT. You know, yeah. okay, that's different for Spain. the The Germans are fairly straightforward, uh, but you know, different countries do different things. I've mm. now got, I've got nine documents for Italy and only four for for, for, for France, for example.
1: Wow. That does sounds like an administration headache. I remember it and remember it well, Simon, I have to be honest. I don't want to go back there.
0: No, we're using an intermediate company. The base is going to manage that for us, but Amazon yeah. are applying for them for the first year. and yeah. So, you know, it's around 10,000 euros worth of, worth of value or $10,000 worth of value, which is very nice. Thank you very much. Mister.
1: Yeah. I mean, a, like I say, it's a great service from Amazon. I, uh, it's, um, very, very clever. And so you mentioned that you were selling, or you're doing some research out in the States. So do you sell out there already? Or are you thinking- No, not
0: selling? really. We have customers who order through our website. So we have a, a thing on our website called, um, uh, again, we got approached by PayPal um, through something called uh, PayPal Global. Are you anywhere of yeah. PayPal Global? Um, and yeah. they deal with web interpret. So on our website now, there's a little logo on the top bar, uh, which is fairly recent. And you can select the country you happen to be in. In fact, it does some, some, um, some auto uh, analysis. So it, if you come in from America, for example, it'll actually show the website in dollars and some of the spellings will change, particularly on the product pages and the checkout pages. Um, and then if you're in, I don't know, someone in the middle East, it'll come up in Arabic. And if you're in China it'll come up in, in wow. all automatic and, um, that does very well for us. So we have quite a few customers from the States who order through that service.
1: Right. Um, and so does it actually sell in dollars to us customers or is it, a, yes. it's not a case of we'll show you a us dollar price, but we'll charge you sterling really. And it'll be about that amount in us dollars that comes off your credit card.
0: No, they they basically charge us dollars mm. um, and it's done. It all has to go through PayPal. So basically the customer has to pay through PayPal. Yep. Um, But they pay through PayPal in their local currency and uh, it's roughly, it's pretty much the same amount. Um, But uh, because they're working with some very large global um, courier companies, um, it sort of works out cheaper than we could do it.
1: Yeah.
0: The customer ordering from America, for example, will get their package tracked and all the rest of it in the normal way, but we just ship it to to a place in London. Oh, okay. So from our point of view, it's great because we just ship next day to London, which is a standard price, a standard rate. And then from that point on it goes and and sort of trundles off across the Atlantic to the the Americas or wherever it has to go. And we've literally shipped everywhere from Australia, Taiwan, New Zealand, America, bits of, yeah, everywhere, really.
1: Wow. And that's all through PayPal Global.
0: Yes. And and you can sort of sign up for that on the website. And I Mm. think if they think you're fairly professional, they'll just set it up
1: yeah and it's a great option i think if you want to start shipping internationally and you don't know where to start or begin yes um like you say you take advantage of of their uh platform don't you really
0: yes Um, yeah and this this is a big help in terms of getting yourself out there and then as you start to develop so one of the reasons for example why we went to amazon germany was we saw a little hotspot of people buying from parts of germany and austria so parts of southern germany and parts of austria we kept we basically every now and again we'd look at all these addresses and they would all be the same sort of around the same sort of city or or a couple of cities clearly it was people telling every telling their friends about our service (laughs) and there was little sort of hotspots developing in parts of europe yeah uh, and that's when we sort of thought well actually we could do this through amazon as well and if we offer them amazon maybe they'd like that so you know sometimes they buy directors sometimes they'll go through amazon
1: wow well I mean it's great that you get you get in these international markets opening up and you you're expanding that way. So I guess if I if I go back to what you said earlier about 2013 you had to make a decision whether to to do this properly or whether to to not do it. Um I I, I take it you're quite pleased that you you made the decision to do it. It it it's sounds like you're having fun It's a
0: hard road. It's not an easy thing to do. Um mm. you know it is pre- be prepared for an enormous amount of hard work and heartache because you know, uh, as soon as you start succeeding, you know, the whole world, not not so the whole world comes to your door, but lots of people come to your door offering things that, that basically end up you spending a great deal of money and not getting much back in return. You know, that's a, that's a really interesting out. statement.
1: Yeah. I've, I, the amount of phone calls you get every day from, from various different, uh, how can I, how can I describe them? Opportunities. Um, yes. is, uh, is, is quite interesting, isn't it, as your, as your site sort of starts to gather pace.
0: Yes, um, and you get people going, oh, we know how to do social media, and, and, you, know, and you just get bombarded constantly by these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what really
1: are some bombarded. of the things that you've done that you wish you, if you could go back, you wouldn't do then?
0: I, I'd never approach uh, agencies uh, ever again, web agencies. The bigger they are, the worse they are, generally, <laughs> <laughs> Because wow. they, well, because you go into these places and they're all in you know Shoreditch or other hot spots of you know, that uh, London you know looking really cool. And there are these warehouses and you look at yourself and you think, now I know. <laughs> I've got a friend who works in property and I know the the sort of rental value of these sorts of places. Sure. So I'm thinking to myself as I walk in, okay, that's 100,000 a month just to be here. Yeah,
1: yeah. how <laughs> much are they going to charge me, yeah. Around,
0: you know, and they're going to charge 30, 40, 50,000 a year each. That means they're going to want you know, this much money. And and you think and what, and typically what happens is you meet the top people and you say, oh, they're great, they're really good. You know, they obviously know what they're talking about. And you get filtered down the organization. You sort of tumble down from the top people down to sort of the person who only joined two weeks ago who knows nothing but is learning on the job and you're paying for them to learn, which really annoys me. (laughs) Because after a while, you get to know what you need to do. um, And so you sort of know that these people aren't really talking the right language and you think to yourself, do you know what you're talking about? So now what we do is we, we sort of talk to other people, other websites, other people that we know, and we go off and we find individuals that basically know what they're talking about. And so
1: you don't use agencies, you use individuals Yes. sort of get recommended.
0: Yes. Um, so we have, we have a person that works with us on Amazon. We have a person that works with us on Google, uh, Google Shopping and Google Ads and, and Google generally. And we have another p- specialist who's actually amazing. It does, just does Facebook ads, nothing else. Wow. Just Facebook and Instagram. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, our Facebook lady is fantastic. And she gives us a sort of four to one ratio.
1: Which is, you'd take that all day long, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Every time I spend a pound with her, I get four back. So, you know, yeah. why would I not? It, <laughs> you know, that, and the point is, it's good value in the sense that, I, you know, it started, and the way they do it is they do it properly. They just ramp you up very slowly. And, and every, apart from, I think, the first six to eight weeks, I think we've always been in profit. Hmm. Um, and that's the sort of, that's the sort of relationship we want. Where we, we know we're giving money to these people and okay, they grow their teams, but they grow them organically and they bring these people on properly. And you know that you're actually in effect, helping them earn a living and not funding these, these giant sort of cushy warehouses for people who've got degrees that aren't really worth anything. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I'm, I'm with you. I remember, I remember one time I walked into a, uh, an office with a client and, um, we were doing some research around different companies and I took him into their office and the client I was with was extremely wealthy. Um, I mean, very wealthy client and quite, I mean, quite, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's, he's quite well known and he just, he he did exactly the same thing, Simon. We went to this office and um, he looked and around and he said to the guys, well, this all looks very new and they said, oh yeah, it's great. We've just moved in here and these, let me show you our drawings and they out these drawings. Let me show you our expansion plans and all this sort of stuff. And after about 10 minutes, he just stood up and he said, right, we need to go, Matt. And, um, and they said, oh, why are you leaving early? He just basically said, if you need me to pay for all of this, you are going to be charging way too much money, and I'm not interested. And he just walked out.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly the way we work. We've mm. done all that. You know. I've blown £60,000 a month on bloody agencies and not got anywhere. And um, well, never again. You know. So we don't do that um
1: so are you quite self-taught simon do you do you, are you quite hands-on yourself Are you
0: i'm trying not to be because my job as an md is to find everybody else that can replace me yep <laughs> do what i do and just do it better than me so you have to have an understanding and it's very simple i just want it to be profitable guys you know if i'm going to spend as i do with the facebook lady if i'm going to spend you know a thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds or whatever it is with you i want some more of that back yeah you know, this is the whole point about advertising, guys, is it's supposed to generate income. If it's not generating income, it's not advertising. Yeah. It's basically, I don't know, marketing or spending money. And now we're prepared to do some marketing, but we're not prepared to do it forever, for nothing.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. So,
0: so you know, we have a really good graphics lady who who works from home. The other thing that we found which is absolutely brilliant, is digital mums. Have you heard of digital mums?
1: Uh why don't you explain what you mean by
0: that? So digital mums, so the scenario is uh, ladies that have four, well, not always ladies, but people basically who've had an experience in marketing, a formal training, you know, degrees mm-hmm. or 20 years in the industry doing proper marketing, probably for well-known brands uh, who understand marketing inside and out, typically go and start families, have their families, and then think at a certain point, well, actually, I'd like to get back into the industry. But oh my goodness me, it's changed and now it's all about social media. And I know nothing about social media other than my own use of Facebook or Instagram. Mm-hmm. So digital mums will take those individuals, they will basically check that they are who they say they are in terms of their qualifications, and then they will take them on a proper course, a sort of a, a homeworking, um, upskilling in social media. Okay, Okay. you know about marketing, we're not going to tell you about marketing because you know what marketing is, but this is how you do marketing in the social media world. This is what you need to know. This is how Amazon works. This is how Google works. This is how Facebook works. This is how Instagram works. These are social media channels you need to think of if this customer is a, I don't know, a gym or a hairdresser versus somebody selling product or somebody else. So they have very, very good trainers who basically train these ladies through, a, well, typically ladies through a course lasting a few months. And at the end of that course, they're then allowed or, 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 or integrated with a business. So we, might, we, we approached them a couple of years ago. And I think at that time, and I could be wrong, it was about 300 pounds a month. And we spent 300 pounds a month on this lady. And she was, I mean, she was amazing. I mean, wow. She spent something like 15 years inside Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> and so whilst she wasn't necessarily a skincare expert, number one, she was a skincare customer. So she knew what the customer wanted. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Target audience, definitely.
0: But her expertise was marketing in a very similar field. So she was an expert in marketing pharmaceuticals. hmm which is not a million miles away from skincare in the sense that it's a very regulated, organized, very regulated business, and you go out through certain channels and you do certain things. And so she was fantastic, um, wow. and and we worked with her until her husband got a posting somewhere overseas. Um, and now we we have a, a lady working with us now, and she's actually one of the digital mum tutors. So it's fantastic. We've gone from a graduate now into somebody who actually teaches wow. the mum.
1: And so is this like a, I mean, I've, I've heard the phrase digital moms we've employed digital mems, uh, but not through the service maybe that you're talking about. Um, is this like an online service? Is
0: yeah, so it's an online service. So you can you can come at it from two angles. You can either be somebody wanting to join the service to be, yeah. rescued, to be deployed and get money. Because 99% of these people work from home, around their families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this may come in occasionally. So, so our mum, as it were, Rebecca, she will come in, once or twice a month um, and and we'll just sit down and discuss things and then the rest of the time she's working from home and we'll sort of Skype or or Zoom or whatever to to keep in touch Um, and um, the other approach is from companies wanting somebody to do marketing for them in the social world but they don't have much money so you can get a digital mum very cheaply and she learns with you so as part of her course she works with real companies doing real marketing and she or he is overseen by a sort of supervisor person.
1: Yeah,
0: that's that sounds a, like a great and idea. idea. And I think it's fantastic, because mm. it gives small companies expertise at a very cost-effective rate. Yeah. And obviously, if you like that person, and if that person is getting back into business or getting back into work, there's no reason why you can't end up employing them. Sure. Uh, and they can become your marketing manager or your marketing
1: director. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Fantastic. So that's well. I'm going, going to, to check it out. Just to I'll Google digital mums later, and we'll find out.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have a look. It's a fantastic scheme because there's a huge wasted resource out there of people, you know, who've had who've had careers in whatever field it might be, have have families, and then want to come back in again, and then feel they've lost ten years of that knowledge.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we've we've hired um, two new people in the last few weeks, and both of which are mums returning back to the workplace. Yes. Um, and very dynamic, very, very capable, um, lovely people to be around, very determined, very stoic, just get on and solve problems. I mean, dream people to have around. I just have to be flexible.
0: Yes, I mean, in a previous life, when I did my first startup, there were three of us, three geeks in a dining room in Bournemouth, and our first employee was a lady called Rose. We had no idea how to interview anybody. But- <laughs> But we thought that since she had six children, she could organise anything. (laughs) That's probably quite true. She was. She was fantastic. So within two years, she became our commercial director. And we would have people ringing us up going, please don't let me deal with her because she's scary. (laughs) 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 But she knew how to get a deal. And she was basically, you know, she took no nonsense from anybody. And it was Mm. just great working with her, luckily, because she was on our side. I don't know what would happen the other way. But it, that resource was really useful.
1: <laughs> That's really funny, um, Simon. We uh, I guess a, f- a few more questions for you. One, um, you used the Shopify platform for your website, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, we moved um, into Shopify in two thousand thirteen. Yeah, two thousand thirteen, fourteen.
1: So this was when you decided to do this properly full time. You moved on to Shopify.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and you've stayed there ever since. Yes,
0: yeah, so we're still on Shopify. And uh, it still works for us. We're still on the on the sort of $79 a month thing. But obviously, it's a lot more than $79 a month with all the, the various charges. But yeah. it still works for us. I have to say, it is absolutely bulletproof. I mean, the amount of times it's ever gone down, I can count, well, in five years, I, I think twice in five yeah. years. And it's been down for like two or three hours, and it came back again. I think they were attacked at one point with a big DDoS attack, and they went down for a few hours. But they came back again, and it all worked. Yeah. So it's very reliable from that point of view. It's very good because they've got a lot of tools inbuilt to the system that just lets you run the business and just get some things. Um, I will say it's not easy to set up because what you don't realize is there's a lot of stuff you have to do behind the scenes in terms of things like the email content and um, integrating into, into various couriers and you know, the Royal Mail system or whatever courier you want to use.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, it's not a five-minute job, is it? To set up a Shopify no,
0: site. not. I mean, I did it myself the first time round. Well, and most of the times I've done it. And yeah, it took all my skills to sort of work out. You know, I ended up programming in HTML again. You know, going back, looking <laughs> <laughs> up the symbols, trying to work out what I needed to do, um, because uh, it, it's not that easy. But mm. uh, yeah, I mean, it does literally. It just it just sits there and shunders along quite happily. Every day yeah, and
1: if it is working well for you. Great. I mean the design the, the of your site. Is that something you guys did? Is that a theme? How did you come across that?
0: Uh, so we yeah, so so like everybody else in the world, I think we use the turbo theme from out of the sandbox mm-hmm. uh, Which seems to be the Shopify theme at the moment or, or has been for a number of years now And again, it's very stable and it gives us what we want to do. We're about to change the website I think we're gonna we're gonna have a, a refresh um we
1: but you're going to stay on shopify you're just going to change oh yeah, the yeah. We're design
0: just, we're just going to we're going to turn the whole design on its head and basically start looking at it from mobile first because now about a year ago we noticed that the mobile traffic was exceeding the desktop yeah. traffic. and obviously that means uh, that we have to focus on mobile and so we're going to start optimizing the site so that it actually loads as fast as possible
1: so what would be one of the key things that you think you should change then to make it more mobile friendly?
0: Um, I think we are going to change the general, um, not so much the look and feel of the website. We're going to reduce the amount of text on certain pages. Okay. So that you just get to the point, particularly on the product pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a careful balance because customers want to know everything there is about our product in terms of what, where the ingredients are or what it does and how it works. But at the same time, you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to get to the heart of it and, and let yeah. the consumer make the decision very quickly. I want to buy that because, of course, there's two types of consumer, isn't there? Well, many types, but the two main types are people who've never seen your website before, versus people who've come for the tenth time and just want to reorder something. And, and yeah, you've, you've got to start. have a
1: good balance between the two. I
0: mean, That's a big spectrum, isn't it? Between yeah. between somebody who's never heard of your brand before and wants to know everything about you, versus the person that just wants to come on and spend ten seconds ordering something and then get the hell off and do something else. Yeah. So trying to build a website that meets both is quite difficult. Mm. You've got to be very economical with your words and your copy to try and get that point across and yet still let the customer buy um, rapidly. And so, you know, we we do that regularly with, with, um, you know, when we send out emails to our customer base, we try and give them links to specific product pages and specific Mm. pages rather than just the website, which I think is the biggest mistake that people make.
1: I think do you it's find it's okay building landing
0: pages in Shopify? <sighs> no, uh, it doesn't work very well. I I find things like Zap uh, Zip Pages works quite yeah. well. Um, we've used that in the past. Um, I really haven't found anything that really works the way I'd love it to. Are we using <laughs> Shogun? You know Shogun? Yeah, um, yeah. That too. Uh, we've probably used just about everything. <laughs> At some
1: point. it sounds like you've tried every single thing that's out there at some
0: well, point I, I, I was saying this earlier there's a curve there's like a bell curve that people <laughs> go through where they get their shopify website i think yeah, yeah i got a shopify website and they get a few sales well yeah, yeah i've got some sales and then they think i could make it better let's add this thing so they add a thing you know add an app to the website that does something and then they add another one and then by by you know a few months later, they've got like, you know, three dozen applications all running on the Shopify website. And they wonder why it all just collapses in a heap of sort of molten slowness. <laughs> <laughs> like, you
1: know, It's that like you're talking from experience.
0: Oh, I've been there. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then even worse, you think, you know, these are rubbish. I'll get rid of all these. So you then delete them all and then find the whole website and now breaks because the code is still there doing stuff that it shouldn't be doing because there's nothing left behind to actually link to. Um, and then you've got to go through the code line by line, removing all the nonsense that's been left behind. <laughs> or, or if we had to do it in the end, just give up, go back to the standard theme, and rebuild the website. Which Start is, again. It's quite good in Shopify in the sense that you know you can go back to another theme.
1: Yeah.
0: And and go back to the vanilla site and then set it all up again, and you know. Uh, sometimes that's actually better than trying to repair the damage you've already done to yourself. So we're yeah. very strict now on apps. Yeah. So very-
1: I mean, that's fair enough. I, I, I'm intrigued to talk to you about it, just simply because what tends to happen is people will use Shopify as a starter platform. So they start their, their site on Shopify. It's super easy. If you want to start a shop, uh, an e-commerce site, it's probably the easiest platform I think to do it on. Oh. Right. Um, and you, you, you set up your website, you start to get a few sales, A few sales turn into a few more sales. And like you, you get to a place where you go, do I want to do this properly? It's becoming a proper business. Around that point, which is typically, I'm going to say probably quarter of a million to 300,000 in turnover for an average site, right? Not every site, but just my experience, is the point in which people go, I now want to move off the Shopify platform. But you have said, actually, no, I want to stay on the Shopify platform. I want to avoid the big web agencies I'm quite happy with what we've got. We just need to tweak it and continue to develop it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the core of of Shopify works very well. You know, it does actually work and it's completely reliable. And if you want to, you can go up to Shopify Plus, which is the big platform. Mm. We don't still need to go there yet. Um, There's some quite nice things to have, but it's a big jump cost wise for us at the moment. Mm. Um, And we're quite happy where we are in terms of the, the core Shopify services it's the peripherals that get you it's the fact that you've got to then bolt in an email system to, to do nice emails to your customers to encourage them to come back you've got to have a nice sort of thing that does invoicing properly Then mm. you've got to integrate into your accounting system and that can be an absolute nightmare yep um, and then you've got stock control and and the thing that that absolutely foxes everybody which i never think about when they begin with is how do you manage returns? You know, when somebody wants to return something and you now need to yeah. reverse the process, that's yeah. that's when your web, that's when your system dies, <laughs> because then you suddenly realise I have no process to do this. So I don't know how to do it. Yeah. How do I send this person a label? You know, to, yeah. to to because I haven't integrated the postal system properly, or you know, how do I manage it back in the inventory when I've got to put this thing back in stock, or mm. those sorts of things. So it's the peripheral around Shopify I find the most difficult,
1: mm. and that's normally the point. I think as business grows and expands, people go, now I'm willing to, to move away from this to get all the customization that I want.
0: Yeah, um, I, I found that, I, well, I found we were able to do everything we want to do on Shopify. Mm. We, you know, w- there are alternatives. You know, I've, previous life, I've built websites in, in Magento. And,
1: mm. uh,
0: oh my God. You know, <laughs> I, I, I presume it's got better now.
1: If, no, no, it hasn't.
0: Developers' nightmare. <laughs>
1: yeah no it's still the same now it's fascinating actually i was talking to a lady earlier on in in new york she's going to be on the podcast soon actually she's lovely um and she was talking about magento and how it's just an unmitigated nightmare to do what they need to do on it but there was no real alternative for them at the time um yeah fascinating
0: conversation. Day, we're a skincare business not a web developer and so yeah. let's just let's just get the thing working mm. reliably um and to the best of our abilities. And, you know, because we don't just sell on the web, you know, we work with retailers and we're now starting to expand internationally through mm. you know, distributors and, and other supermarkets and places like that. So we don't, website's very, very important, but it's not the be all and end all. Yeah, I think you can focus too much on your website and just, you know, you should get to a point where it just works. It should be like a series of steps. You basically run the thing level, for a long period of time nice and stable everything works and then you plan to jump to the next level and you better plan properly um, so that when you do make that jump you have a period of instability whilst you settle everything down and then you make sure it all runs properly for you know a year or two and then you jump again you do, you yeah. do not want to do continuous development on your website
1: well i mean i have to be honest with you something it's quite refreshing to hear your quite laid uh, down to earth is probably the, the down to earth approach. Um, and it, it, it's working well for you, which is great. One final thing. I mean, you mentioned uh, before we hit the record button, um, you actually went to Crowdcube, didn't you, to get some funding for business. Ex- yeah.
0: Um, we wanted to expand the business overseas. Um, and to do that, we thought, well, let's do Crowdcube. We'd heard good things about it or crowdfunding generally. Um, so, We, we had a sort of quick review of the various groups that do crowdfunding. Yeah. We settled to work with Crowdcube and, um, yeah, initially we thought we would raise a a fairly small sum of money, which is just a hundred thousand pounds just to see what it was like. And actually I went into this, not really going for the money as such. The money's great, but actually to sort of use it as a marketing opportunity. And the result is spectacular. So we now have 500 new investors stroke brand advocates. And they're all over the world. And when I mean all over the world, I mean we have people in Peru, Indonesia. Wow. The America, obviously, uh, Canada, uh, there's somebody in Iceland. You know, these are people who've put money into our business, and not necessarily huge sums of money. But the point is, if I want to go into Iceland as a, you know, distribute into Iceland, I there's a person I can go to that person and say, "What do you think of our brand in Iceland? Do you think it would do well?" Yeah. You know, yeah. I could ask them, and it would be their interest to help me. So if yeah. I want them, you know, I, I've now got 500 new salespeople basically who are
1: 500 brand advocates is what you said
0: people who are interested in our brand succeeding now some have put a lot of money and some have but the point Mm. is now got these new brand advocates and already a lot of well not a lot of them few of them are already distributing so they're they're quite clever they're people who already distribute product in different markets who come back to you going well i've invested in your business but actually i run this company in indonesia that does skincare distribution i'd really like to work with you (laughs) you know (laughs) So, actually, that's, that's very clever on their part. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Of course we'll talk to them. You know, because they'll know what we need to do yeah. know, to get approval in the Indonesian skincare market, which of which I know actually zero. But, but there's somebody out there that wants to, wants to take our brand on. Fine. You know, we can talk to them. When did the, when did the crowdfunding end? Well, you do it for a month. So, we did it from mid March to mid April.
1: So, it's just um, recently at the time of yeah, recording so, this. Really. Yeah,
0: so it's only a few weeks ago. So we hit our target in seven days. Wow. Um, and it was just amazing just to watch this money just pouring in. Um, but it's hard work because yes, you've got 500 people coming in, but about 300 of them ask questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you are constantly, um, asking, uh, sorry, answering questions from yeah. people and they're asking all sorts of questions, financial questions, product questions, um, branding questions uh, your ethics i mean in, in our market our ethics were very important and so people were asking a great deal about well how do you treat the bees and what do you do with this and what do you do with mm. that mm.
1: Um,
0: and so you've got to be prepared to drop everything and have we had two people doing nothing else than responding and dealing with with, with queries from customers
1: and did you get a company to help you with your pitch and presentation or did you just do it all yourselves?
0: We did most of it ourselves. We had a consultant who had experience of doing this before. We were told, it was quite interesting, we were told, don't bother with Facebook advertising because it's not going to work for fundraising. Well, actually, it worked really well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you, you were told, but you completely ignored that advice and just did it yeah, anyway.
0: Got, we got about, I mean, we didn't get a vast amount, but we got about £12,000 through Facebook advertising. Well, for Very little, you know, for a few hundred. So, well, it's still a
1: good ROI, right? Absolutely,
0: Jeez. it was fantastic ROI. And and uh, again, I don't think it would have worked for most brands, but because we're skincare and because we're obviously very female focused, I think we picked up on that vibe. And people just wanted to, to invest because we were nice to bees.
1: Well, Simon, listen, it's been fascinating talking to you. Really appreciate your time. If I could finish maybe with one final question. Yeah, sure. It's 2019. If you could sort of. Do that magic thing, you know, where you go back to to 2008 and it all starts. What's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself, do you think?
0: Uh, I think stick at it uh, because there are days in the beginning where you think, I've not sold anything today. Nothing's gone out the door. But you've just got to keep at it. You've just got to Mm. keep working at it and believe in yourself. And eventually things will turn around and and things will come to you. But you've just got to keep working at it and be very stubborn and just keep going, you know. because there's that critical time where you go from working part-time or having a full-time job and doing this thing at night to then jumping into it full-time. Yeah. And you just got to keep believing in yourself.
1: I like your phrase, you got to be stubborn. Uh, oh, yeah. Stubbornness you're was just, always sold as a bad thing when you were a kid. But actually, in this industry, it's very good.
0: You just got to keep help. going because people will tell you, oh, it's never going to work. and you do I'll oh, I'll prove you wrong. I'll sort it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've definitely yeah, been there. <laughs> listen Simon it's been great where can people uh connect with you how can they get a hold of you at begood.co.uk and it's worth saying
0: b is spelled b-e-e, B-E-E yes so it's all one word begood.co.uk you know? fantastic and, and we're definitely. on amazon as, as amazon.co.uk slash begood
1: okay and that's just amazon.co.uk at the moment
0: uh yeah we're also on amazon france germany italy and spain oh wow Okay. Well, fantastic.
1: Uh, So do get in touch with Simon and check out his beautiful website. And why don't you buy his products? Because I'm sure they will be absolutely amazing. Simon, listen, super appreciate your time. It's been great getting your wisdom and insight on e-commerce. Thanks very much. Thank you. Wow. What A great conversation with Simon that was. I hope you enjoyed listening uh, as much as I enjoyed having that uh, conversation. My shout out and thanks again to Simon for talking to us about what it takes to build a successful e-commerce business from the ground up. I particularly appreciated his advice about being stubborn and not giving up. Uh, Despite the challenges, you've got to be stubborn with it was some great advice. So thanks for listening to uh, the Curiosity Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It's free and the show is always full of good stuff about how to set up, run and grow your own e-commerce business. So do make make sure you subscribe to keep up to date. Also, we can connect on social media if that's your thing. You can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn with the username Matt Edmondson, all one word. Uh, Or if you're on Facebook, then it's just add add CO at the end, Matt Edmondson Co. uh, And you'll see me on there. And of course, all of the notes from uh, today's episode with Simon, I'll link to his website. I'll do the transcript so you can download that and read that uh, at your own convenience. Links to Curious Digital about the Colab project. It's all on my website, including all my social media links. So make sure you check that out at mattedmondson.com. So thanks for listening, my fellow e commerce entrepreneurs. I will be back super soon with some more help and advice on e commerce. So until next time. You've been listening to the Curiosity Podcast with Matt Edmondson. Subscribe and join us next time as we carry on conversations about all things e-commerce and digital business.